everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your Warhammer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Mr. PD Pob, and with me I have three wonderful gentlemen, three people who are definitely better at 40k than I am, to talk about today's topic, which is going to be all about winning the primary objective in your 40k 9th edition games by killing as little of your opponent's units as possible. That's right. We're going to interact with you about non-interaction in 9th edition. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's actually a lot of good stuff in this episode, but first let me introduce the guests. First I have the regular co-host, Mr. Brandon Grant, coming back on the podcast. Always, always good to be here, Pablo. Thank you. Uh, I've got the Mob Rules duo, one half of the Mob Rules duo, Danny <laughs> Devitt. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Pablo. And then finally, I've got, you heard his laugh, I've got the thunder from down under, Mr. Adam Camilleri. Hello, pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having the three of you. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome, Pablo. They said in unison. We rehearsed this, guys. We rehearsed this. Oh, sorry, this. I said that I was <laughs> muted. Oh, man. <laughs> Good save. Uh, anyways, thank you guys for coming on, uh, especially in such short notice. Uh, we definitely had some issues getting people on for today's episode, but we got a full panel here. We've got a great topic. And before we jump into it, quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Frontline Gaming and specifically the Atlantic City Open. The Atlantic City Open is going to be opening registration on March 29th, Monday, 2021. Of course, this March is coming up on one week from this recording of this episode. So six days from when you're listening to it. Absolutely recommend getting the tickets. It's going to sell it very fast. I'm so excited for this uh, this event. The venue is massive. It's a great venue. Uh, it's got a lot of amenities. It's uh, going to be as big as the LVO. It's in a great location. Uh, I would suspect that this Atlantic City Open and the LVO are going to be the one-two punch of frontline gaming events where you're going to have the Atlantic City Open kind of in the middle of the year. Uh, and then you've got the LVO, obviously, at the end of the season. And uh, they're they're going to be massive, right? The, there's enough room for this, for this event to have easily a thousand people as well. Uh, and as much as we love the LVO, I know that not everyone gets to go to the LVO specifically because of its location. So moving uh, this event out to the East Coast uh, gives people across the pond, the, those uh, amazing WTC players, um, obviously the East Coasters as well, uh, a chance to go out to an event that's a little more accessible for them. Uh, so it's going to be a great event. I'm super hyped for it. This year, it's not going to hit those lauded LVO numbers. However, it's definitely going to be a big event, and COVID permitting, might be one of the biggest events of the year. We'll see. I'm so excited. Get your tickets at store.frontlinegaming.org. That's in the Frontline Gaming web cart. They'll be very easy to find. They're going to fill up fast. Are I had any a, of you... Oh, God, Adam. I had a funny, a funny thing happen when I heard about the Atlanta City Open because I messaged a friend of mine who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and I said, mm. oh, cool, how exciting that you can have a, you know, a super major from Frontline coming to your area. And he's like, it's not in my area. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's in Atlantic <laughs> City. You're in Atlanta? Isn't that a thing? And he's like, not at all. And yeah, that was fun. That was a fun 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, just, just putting it out there. It, it, I'm it, nowhere it, near it, as smart as people may think I am. <laughs> You know, it's okay, Adam. I thought the same thing, actually, when Reese first mentioned it. We were talking about events in Georgia, um, just because, you know, we were working on expanding all the frontline gaming events. So we, we brainstormed a ton of places, and the South was one of those places. And so we we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a super major in the South. So for like the first three months of the planning for the Atlantic City Open, I was like, I, I, was, I thought we were literally having an Atlanta, Georgia. 
and I, was, I called it the Atlanta City Open yeah. um, instead of the Atlantic City Open. And then one day I was like, well, what about the heat and humidity? Like, isn't that going to be pretty bad? Like, shouldn't we have extra water? And then Reese was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's in the north. It's in Atlantic, New Jersey. And I was like, oh, okay. Ah, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, great stuff. Um, by the way, uh, Danny, you, I know you. I know you live in the Great North. Uh, heat and humidity is that stuff. Oh, okay. That you yeah, get. Thank you. That uh, when when people don't like you, when the weather doesn't like you, and makes you want, it, especially as big, you know, large hairy men, it's the it's the bane of our existence. I really appreciate you explaining that to me. I've never actually been anywhere hot before ever in my entire life, so good that makes I, a great deal of difference to me. I figured I would <laughs> I would reciprocate because you told me what snow was the last time I went up there. Oh so yeah, that's it, fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought it was just like, you know what? Actually, that's a dirty joke. We're gonna move on. So, <laughs> main <laughs> main topic for today's episode. We're just gonna jump right into it. Uh, objective control. It's important. I would say that in ninth edition, the community has largely shifted towards the idea of focusing on objectives uh, and playing to the mission. Um, less about killing. You definitely saw that. Like for instance, with Tau, Tau are still very killy. They, they, I know that they did get nerfed, but they still have the capacity to shoot an army off the board. The problem is, is that they really don't play to the mission very well, and that's the what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that phenomenon of playing to the mission and armies that specialize in this mission. Before we do that, I do want to share a quick anecdote. Uh, from when I played a very similar army in 7th edition um, that was uh, hated by everyone who I told about it, um, including a lot of people of the podcast, and that was the Fabled Warp Company. So if you're a long-time oh, listener, no. ta-da, the Warp Company is back. Um, for a quick recap, for those of you who didn't play in 7th edition, the Warp Company was a Space Marine battle company with Eldar allies. Essentially what it was, was the Space Marine battle company allowed you to take free transports for every unit you uh, had in your battle company, your space room battle company. So it usually averaged to about uh, eight to ten free transports. Usually rhinos, because they were they were um, they they were just very useful because you couldn't you had to buy the upgrades still. So um, and drop pods were immobile. So razorbacks were kind of uh, not as well taken because heavy bolters weren't that big of a deal. Um, mine was a mix of heavy bolters, razorbacks, and rhinos. Uh, rhinos for holding 10 troops or for 10 models, Razorbacks for a little bit more twin heavy bolter DACA. Uh, and on top of that, so you had about 70 to 80 marine bodies with 8 to 10 transports. My list specifically had uh, 8 Razorbacks, 2 rhinos, 80 marines, and then 30 warp spiders. Uh, warp spiders are Eldar. They're, in 7th edition, they were awful. I'm just not going to go into too much detail. Um, they were hyper mobile. Uh, deep striking menaces, uh, and they could kill largely every infantry true choice in the game. Uh, they couldn't hurt vehicles at all. So what ended up happening was I would play these games where because all of my shooting was literally strength four from bolters, strength five from heavy bolters, or strength six from the warp spiders, I couldn't hurt vehicles at all or characters. If you were T5 or higher, I my army was not going to kill you. I had to roll fives and sixes and you had the fail saves because I didn't have any real rending or AP values or anything. So th the way the army worked was because the battle company gave all of the space marines objective secured and tank shocking was a thing, I wouldn't actually kill my opponent's models um, especially other battle companies right because i did i couldn't kill their transports and so what ended up happening was i would play this weird cagey chess match where i there were times where games where i'd literally just skip my shooting phase because i was running out of time because i was moving so many models over I'd, my opponent would be like okay you're shooting phase i'm like actually i'm just gonna skip that 
and I'm just going to go straight to charging to move more models and to hit and run to just get into position because I'm losing out on time. Hmm. So that, the point of that uh, army was a concept that I really enjoyed, which was flipping the idea of how to play 40k on its head. In this case, it wasn't a killy army. It didn't have psychic powers. It The shooting wasn't exactly the most necessary thing. And it was playing as uninteractive and cerebral as possible. Didn't win all my games. However, I would say that it was probably my most successful army uh, to date. Was, uh, I scored some of my best records playing 40k with that army. It was a very good army. Anyways, long story short. Some important things to, to note is that in that edition, when you bought a transport for a unit that had objective secured, that transport got objective secured as well. Yes. So it was essentially yeah. was the entire army could hold objectives over other people. And yes. so a lot of the time, what you would do is, is what happens a lot in this edition, all your own, the only firepower you would use would be used to kill other people's obsec and you would ignore literally everything else. If you yes. didn't have obsec, didn't matter. Uh, like you didn't care about it. Didn't care if it was, it was like yeah. a 2000 point Death Star. The reason that army worked is critically, you would definitely be close to getting tabled by the end of the game. But by the time your opponent was able to actually remove enough models to start scoring, time's up, game's over, I've won on objectives. So if we're talking about designing a list for ninth, I'd say if you're trying to win games consistently, you're trying to plan an army style that even if someone is playing your hard counter... When they show up, your last few models or last few points are just enough to score you enough points to win. So focusing on an army that even if you're losing models and you're not able to retaliate because you're being countered, you're still able to score effectively despite that drawback. Yeah, that is a great transition, Brandon. So let's go ahead and talk about armies. First army factions that you were seeing in 9th edition that are kind of adopting this style of play. And then after that, uh, let's talk about uh, army lists specifically or units and styles of units that you can run if you want to run this. And just to real quick, just to emphasize, this is a really good style of play if you have a hard time with like with luck, with accepting luck based results. If you have a hard time, um, if you're the kind of player who like makes really crazy, silly moves and you want to get better, these kind of armies will tighten up your game uh, because you're focused on movement and th- tangible strategies that you can control I think, anyways i think every ahead. single army that's come out so far in ninth edition that has a codex with the exception of drukari which is not technically out yet but i think that every single one of those has a build that you can play kind of a very denial style uh like purely based on objective kind of game where you don't have to kill anything to still win the game whether it be space marines necrons or uh, or Death Guard. I think all of those armies kind of play that like pretty well. And there Absolutely. are other armies that exist as well in this in the edition that previously existed that's, that can play this kind of style well too, like Tyranids, um, probably God. Sisters. Another good to your one. point, Danny, I think uh, any army nowadays needs to be able to fall back on that as a plan B. Oh, sure. When they're facing someone who's just going to table them, it's just a matter of time. Now it's, okay, how do I win on points even though I can't do enough damage to win on the table and that's the kind of cagey play that you're going to see at the very top tables mm. now some people bemoan this uh style of play as being uninteractive as being unfun um this is just the kind of we talk about this all the time as gamers gamers are going to game we're always going to optimize we're always going to try the way to what i describe as ironing out all the variance in our scores to try and make the most linear path to victory as possible, and essentially the most stress-free and easy-going path to victory. It just so happens that in this sense, in ninth edition, with the ninth edition rule set, 
Um, the easiest way to do it is to make your opponent irrelevant, and what they do doesn't matter. You're always going to get the same amount of points. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to blame it on on the players. I'm not going to blame it on the rule set. It's just a kind of symptom of of where the game's at right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100. And um. Uh, we don't really need to go into that too much right now. We'd probably talk about it at the end because I know there's some patron questions that definitely address that specifically. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about some factions that we see uh, that excel at this, right? So I'm going to throw this out there. Very first one, um, <clears throat> uh, Necrons. Necrons are very, very good at this specifically for two reasons. One, they have some of the best, they have the best, one of the best troop choices, not the best mm-hmm. troop choices in the game in Warriors. Uh, they're durable, especially with invuln save. They can come back. They're, you know, 20 wounds, uh, big blobs. Um, they're obsec, they're double obsec if you want. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Necrons can be very mobile. Uh, they also have Scarabs, which with uh, with Eternal Conquerors basically become Obsec, or whichever whichever one, Eternal Conquerors or, or whichever the one that gives your army Obsec is for the it's Necron. It's Nihilek, yeah. Uh, Nihilek and... Uh, the custom one, yeah. Relentless... Expansionist. Uh, anyways. You know, thank you, Relentless Expansionist or Eternal, whatever. The point is, is that when Scarabs have Obsec, they're essentially another troop choice, uh, and they're very, very mobile. They can move 12 inches, they have the 6-inch pre-move, and so essentially what you have is an army full of low-point wound Obsec models that can get up the board quickly with various shenanigans and take away your objectives for two turns. Um, Mm. Because chewing through a unit of warriors is, yes, the golden standard, but if they're positioned correctly, can be very can prove to be very difficult, uh, especially when you've got something like a Silent King or some sort of big unit coming up the middle of the board threatening your important scoring units. So Necrons are really good at this style of play. Uh, they are also not as killy as other units or as other armies, so leaning into things like Doomsday Arcs, uh, the Doomstalkers, Heavy destroyers, Scorpic destroyers, in my opinion, isn't playing into Necron's strength. Uh, they don't have any reliable three damage or more weapons that you can spam. Uh, they have reliable two damage weapons, but with Death Guard coming into the mix, I feel like that's not that's not something you want to do. So playing to Necron's strength, I think if you're going to play this style of army, I definitely suggest starting Necrons. Also, Indominus boxes made Scarabs and Warriors like super cheap, and that's most of your army. Play Necrons. <laughs> if you want to play the style. <laughs> uh, so, so that's kind of been the way that I that I started uh the edition playing uh was was playing Necrons in this kind of style. Um and I had a lot of success on it. There were there have definitely been several games where I haven't killed a single one of my opponent's units, but I've scored almost a hundred points. Um uh just based on making sure that I'm playing the secondaries. I like to take secondaries that don't rely on like my opponent's army. Um, or, or, uh, what they're doing. And again, like we talked about a little bit earlier, like what, what it's more, it concentrates on what I can do and the things that I can, uh, uh, and the things that I can do to mitigate any kind of bad dice rolls or good dice rolls on the part of my opponent. Um, uh, and secondaries that don't rely on what my opponent has chosen to take in his army. Because if your opponent, the chances are, if your opponent gives up points in a certain area, they probably have a mitigating strategy to make sure that you're not or a good opponent, I should say. Um, they probably have a mitigating strategy to make sure they don't give up all the points for that particular objective. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. So, like you know, same with like bring it down or Titan Hunters. You're never seeing. Um, sorry. I also think uh, there is uh, some uh, some play in some other armies as well. Uh, like 
Death Guard um, definitely has like a meat mountain build that you can build with a lot of a lot of a Terminators. Meat mountain? Yeah, meat mountain. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like is that the new Muscle Beach? Uh, I don't know. Not really. I mean, it kind. Of, I mean, it has a lot of Terminators. So if you want to call those bodybuilders, um, but then basically as many Poxwalkers as you can fit into it, especially with the new Terminus S build. Um, the, the army of renown that you can do. I think that there's definitely some play in that kind of style of an army as well um, with like 80 to 100 pox walkers, depending on what you're going to build. And that's not a ton of points to, to take that many models. Another reason do- I think those kind of armies are going to see a little bit more. I don't think Inceptors are getting as much play as they were at the start of the edition. And those were like the horde killer. Like one unit of Inceptors can pretty regularly, especially if they overcharge, kill a unit of Necron Warriors, even through the five plus invulnerable save. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing those guys, uh, or or th- having those guys become a little bit less prevalent, especially with with Death Guard being such a prominent force right now, um, I think definitely helps uh, helps the ability of an army that relies on just outscoring your opponent work a little bit better. Mm, I hundred percent agree with that. I agree. The po- Poxwalkers were like this in Eighth Edition. They were one of these style of armies, especially yep. early Eighth Edition. You know, same thing with like the Razor Wing flock list. If you right, remember those. Right. Uh, yeah. it, every every literal list in 8th edition was literally a horde list or spammed something stupid like storm ravens that was clearly undercosted that could kill hordes Absolutely. Uh, and, and that was basically it what what are some other what are some other styles of lists what what about like um a faction that you wouldn't necessarily expect this kind of style to play out of um that you guys can kind of think of off the top of your heads so one thing that I've seen talked about a bit is uh, uh, Dark Angels as being kind of an army that can do this. Um, 100%. Wherein they kind of sit on their half of the table <laughs> and they can score like full secondary points. As long as they can hold like two objectives and score 10 points every turn, they can pull out like a 90, like a 95 point win almost every single game uh, just due to their like faction secondaries that they have. Um, uh, wherein they can kind of sit on, on one of their objectives and make sure that it's held by an obsec unit for the entire game, uh, which could be a big unit of terminators that are extremely difficult to get rid of, um, and just score 15 points on that and make sure that they're scoring 10 points on primary every single turn. Um, so I think that that's probably uh, a way that you can do that. Space Marines just incidentally also kill everything too. So, um, I think that that is uh, like another point in that kind of army's Danny, favor. What you it just can described, do kind of both things pretty well. What you just described is the most uninteractive strategy I can possibly Tyranids imagine. is another good example of this, um, especially if you're building uh, like a gaunt carpet or, or something similar to that, um, where you can kind of just cover the board. Uh, and objectives, again, objective secured models being extremely important in this case. Um, and the Tyranid movement shenanigans are crazy enough that they can get it right across the table and in, into their opponent's face right away and kind of block off movement so that they can uh, uh, they can make it uh, they can make it back into combat. Mm. Sure. And uh, d- real quick, Adam, Danny, can you see? Can you look at the chat real quick um, yeah, yeah. for the cool? And then, um, uh, all right. Uh, so, so to Danny's point, uh, I don't know if Danny can hear me, but um, I think he just described two totally different strategies. One is an offensive and one is a defensive list mm. focused on objectives. So the Dark Angel one in particular sounds extremely uninteractive in that I don't need to leave my deployment zone. You can stay in your deployment zone. Doesn't matter how many models you uh, have on your side of the table. Just by existing in my side, if you don't come to me, I win. Which is terrifying because of the way those secondaries are constructed. 
But on the other hand, an aggressive list like the Tyranid one you just described, that's able to interrupt those secondaries by throwing enough obsec onto their home objectives quickly, counters that to a certain extent, at least if it's able to interrupt their secondary points and win on that front. So if I was trying to build a list to win on objectives, no matter what my opponent brings, I think I'd want to go for a more aggressive list where I'm able to go to their side of the table and prevent them from scoring secondaries as well, just in case their secondaries reward them for just staying in their own deployment zone. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And I will tell you from experience that that way of playing the Dark Angels way that Danny was talking about is it's the easiest path to getting max score wins I've ever experienced in any of in any game system, in any any edition of 40k. I stand here and I can get 100 points. I can not leave my deployment zone and get a max point on the mission. Um, nope, I don't think it's particularly good for the game. I don't think it's the worst thing. I think, I think people will just get better at um, disrupting those secondaries over time. But I wanted to kind of draw attention to the metrics that we leverage in order to play this style of game. There's kind of three that come to mind. There's the the speed factor, which I suppose is what we've seen for, what we've, and how we've seen things like Harlequin and Drakari still be good despite like diminishing returns on the, on the, the ways and means that they're powerful. Um, they're, they're able to still stay relevant because of extreme speed and maneuverability and disruption. Um, and then there's durability, essentially what we what we just said from uh, Dark Angels being imposing a kind of the bully element, the Death Star element. In fact, that you are, you're just too hard enough to crack that people will decline trying. And then there's the medley, which is kind of the Necron Warriors. Their durability is essentially in horde form. Um, they're not essentially durable like a, a toughness four, one wound, four plus armor, five plus invuln, maybe warrior is not durable. But when you factor in 20 in a squad, reanimations and all, all the rest of those shenanigans, they become um, by dint of how much they cost per model, a durable factor. Um, so yeah, I think there's, it's important to, to draw people's eyes to the things that make them, uh, their, their armies and their factions that they play able to, to leverage these kind of things. Because essentially, I think just about every army has one of those three things, possibly, except how. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, I was just about to bring up Blood Angels and White Scars as one of those armies that kind of breaks against this particular mold. Mm. Um, and Adam, you make a great point. This isn't the only way to play this game. Uh, <clears throat> there's definitely other styles uh, that can play to this. Uh, I, I really like Sisters. I feel like Sisters can do a combination of the really quick and fast and mm. then sit on objectives. We saw that with the with the Custodes Sisters list that won the yeah, Las 100%. Vegas and Open, for instance. Um, so you definitely don't need to you definitely don't need to play just this style. Um, however, I wanted to address this style specifically uh, for two reasons. One was because it is a style of play that it comes with a bit of a negative connotation. So I want to talk about it as like, it's, it's not the boogeyman. It, this is a style of play. It's totally accepted. I personally accept it. I personally think that people should try to find different styles of playing and to break the mold as much as possible, just because it, I feel like it is important for the game. It is important for uh, limit testing, for rules testing, for evolution of the game, etc. But also yeah, totally agree. because it, 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 it's a style of play that people enjoy. Uh, if you don't like shooting, if you don't like the idea of dice rolling, ruling you, or if you don't like the idea of um, having your army tabled by these hyper offensive lists, uh, this is a great style of play for you. Also, if you're um, it, anyways, yes, I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier too, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the next subject right now. All right, Panda edit this part out. Um, Danny, Adam, Brandon, can you guys hear me? I can hear you, no problems. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Danny, can you hear Brandon and Adam? I can. 
Okay, so they're loading up for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay, great, perfect. Oh, Danny, you're so fine. You're so fine. You're blowing my mind. Hey, Danny. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and talk about what makes these armies specifically so good. Uh, we've thrown over, thrown out a couple buzzwords like um, zoning, objective control, winning the primary, although that's not really a buzzword. But anyways, these are things that these, these armies specialize in. So what do they mean? Um, so the first thing that, uh, for instance, uh, my Necron army or my Warp Company did, and so a style of play that I really like, is uh, zoning or zone control. And that's all that is, is basically when you have large portions of your army either threatening or standing on and controlling specific key parts of the board. Um, and it can be anything. Sometimes you need to control a specific ruin, but not not just that ruin, but also a specific side of that ruin. So we actually, I saw, uh, I think Colin Sherman play a game on a stream once uh, where his opponent didn't extend his space marines far enough and colin was able to get to the van his vanguard veterans to a wall on a corner of the ruin uh because his opponent didn't quite threaten that area or push him out of that and he was able to charge from behind the wall and really uh hurt his opponent um and i think it was one of the main things that caused him to win the game so identifying what zones are most successful for your army. So if you're a Dark Angels player, what zones get you 10 points every primary objective are important. And then there, you have to find ways to control those zones. Um, in 7th edition, you had tank shocking, which is obviously no longer an option. However, Brandon, Adam, and Danny, what are some other ways an army can control a zone uh, other than just standing there? What are some like fancy ways you use to control zones? One straightforward way of controlling a zone might be Let's say I have a 55-point unit of guardsmen holding an objective, and they're obsec. If my opponent has to throw a 200-point unit onto that objective to get rid of the guardsmen and take it, but I have a 150-point unit next to the objective behind the guardsmen that will easily wipe their unit away, then I've come 150 points ahead, and they've, well, taken the objective for a turn. So in the long run... I'm probably going to be ahead in table control after that exchange. So you can set up waves of screens or waves of threat where if your opponent has to commit with something expensive to get uh, through to either an objective or to some unit that you think is important, you have a response that counters their counter. So you have these waves of threat, like you could have something in strategic reserve so that if they commit an expensive unit um, to a flank, you come in from that flank and delete it. Or you could have a unit in a transport, and if they move into the center of your army and kill the transport in combat, you can emergency disembark and charge them with that unit, so you still win. Whatever it is, you have these layers and layers of threat that they have to peel back in order to get to either your objectives or your important units, so that initially, whatever you're losing, you're winning that trade, so you're winning that war of attrition. I had somebody coin that as a puzzle building. Ooh, I as, like that. Yeah, I had someone coin that to me as like, hey, this, I'm, I'm going to build a puzzle on this objective, as in you got to unwrap like three different layers of my puzzle in order to take it from me. I kind of like that because that's exactly how I was imagining it. So that was years ago somebody said that to me. It just popped back into my head from Brandon's words. Puzzle but yeah, maybe building. that's a puzzle building. Yeah. I hear a lot of people refer to that as like trading or trading up, but I like puzzle building better than that. That's a, that's yeah. a good word. All right. Yeah, it, and it's essentially, if you look at a lot of streams, it's essentially what a lot of 9th edition games revolve around already. Uh, because there are less units uh, and the objectives are all 
they're not player placed, so you don't have these weird ones that are isolated in the corner of the board anymore that you're never going to get to. Essentially, every objective is centered around the middle of the board in some capacity, and so you break you can break down every mission into kind of like quadrants or zones uh, where you're able to hold two objectives, and then that's pretty much all you have to worry about. You have more resources to, or I guess you have less area to control, also because the board is smaller too, so you have a little bit more options to kind of devote resources to very specific things and build these puzzles. Uh, 8th edition wasn't like that, or, or player-placed objectives were not like that. I think of specifically uh, the scouring with player-placed objectives in 7th edition, where there were six objectives and you had to place all of them, uh, and it, it, you know, it spread the board out really thin. Um, Pablo, I, th- I think for those who might still be confused, imagine yeah. it this way. Let's say I have a unit of 5 and a unit of 10, and my opponent has a unit of 10. If I put the unit of 5 on an objective and my unit of 10 behind the objective, and they have to commit their unit of 10 to kill my unit of 5 and take the objective, now my unit of 10 hits their unit of 10, I win. I lost 5, they lost Mm -hmm. 10, and now I have the objective. Whereas if I put all 15 together on the objective at the same time, their 10, whatever it is, might be able to come in and kill all of my units, hold the objective, and I have nothing over there anymore. Best example of this is Repentia exactly. right now. Repentia have the ability to sling themselves like willfully across the table with Miracle Dice and, char- and Advance and Charge and stuff. But if you wall them, they're going to kill pretty much everything they touch unless you're minus one damage and transhuman and all that crazy crap. But um, if you just have 10 guys and with 10 guys in behind them, if they can't declare the charge on the guys in behind them, there's no way for them to kill them. They've First accomplished rank fire, nothing. Second rank fire, fixed bayonets. Yeah, you you essentially yeah exactly. You've you've traded up, and, and the thing the thing is there. You create this issue for your opponent when if they try and do these things, they try and undo your puzzle two or three times. They could have found themselves bled out on their ability to do that going forward. And even if they've just failed to do it once out of the two or three times they've attempted, it's enough to win a lot of games, a lot of close yeah. games. You kind of see that concept in bubble wrapping in last edition. Um, whereas b- before you were bubble wrapping your important kill units to kill your opponent's units because killing was a little more emphasized mm. in ni- in 8th edition. Now you're bubble wrapping essentially your objectives or yep. your areas you want to control. Um, but yeah, same concept. Danny, you know, something to add to that? Oh yeah, no, I was going to say that's exactly that's exactly the point I was going to make, Pablo. I think that Boom. like uh, like body blocking your objectives is super important. Um, it's also important to kind of look maybe a turn of head. Uh, in some of these scenarios where it might be useful for you to uh, like charge something that you know you're going to die, but maybe not die like right away. Um, like I do this with scarabs all the time just to block my opponent's movement so that, yeah, even if they fall back, they're still not going to be able to charge onto an objective and not make it on. Um, yep. So you're like, I expect one scarab with a wound to still be alive. Now you can't fall back and still attack me. Yep. So you're not going to be able to move closer this turn. I've delayed you. Yeah, I I still remember a game I played against Brandon Grant. The one time I thought I had a chance of beating Brandon Grant in a game of 40k, um, I was running knights and he was running his guardsmen. Um, I think he was running his Castellan list. It was like super, you know, <laughs> butt kicker, top tier, going to win the LVO Castellan list. Um, and I, I got a turn one charge off on essentially into his, his, you know, all of his important units with a knight, um, with a scary forge world knight. Um, and it was a close game and I remember I needed to get my gallant to a very specific spot of the board to basically win the game for me. And he move, move, moves, runs and carefully places five guardsmen so that that gallant can't go anywhere except so that he had to charge those guardsmen. And then, 
that night gallant basically he basically cut an entire turn off you know a 400 point model um and its damage output and it cost me the game um but you can do that too that's what scarabs do that's kind of the point of uh these style of lists is you're not you are sacrificing units they're your resource and you're using them for advantages on the board um sometimes it could be scoring an objective for five points which is actually what we're going to move on to next um sometimes it's stopping a unit from doing damage to your units and meaning you take as little damage as possible sometimes it's literally just getting your opponent to move to that side of the board uh i know i know i've seen some players some really good players um do this where they try and lure their opponent away from a specific spot and then use a hyper mobile unit uh or a deep striking unit to kind of push another side of the board and then all of a sudden uh-oh your your um combat unit is close combat you can't make a charge that it was that would have been able to if you hadn't moved it in the wrong direction too so it's like feints and jukes and stuff mm. So uh, I want to talk about primary objectives now. So uh, this is kind of um, the root of why this style of play is a thing that's that people are moving towards. Um, so in your opinions, and anyone can take this, what about the primary objectives make it so important to score points um, it, as opposed to focusing on second killing secondary objectives? And what do you what do you think about like turn order uh using like the first turn theory should you go first or should you go second which has an advantage um just kind of like talk about the general flow of the game and um how you should theoretically map out your primary objective scoring i think it's really important that people have an honest appraisal of the faction they're playing and then they need to decide whether they're a an alpha strike a beta strike or a, i guess a, a late a late game player um I can tell you as a someone who's played guard a lot of the time, we tend to be kind of the mid-game. Um, I tend to look at the the turns uh, two, three, four as the ones I want to do the majority of my scoring in. Turn one's usually positional. Um, I set up so that my all my um, my double moves will disrupt your primary and you know let me do the leapfrog and get the 15s and things of that nature. Um, whereas armies like Dark Angels, it's a late game play. Essentially, like I, I even heard Danny say it on a, a recent podcast, he gets like 60 points in the last two turns of the game um, playing Dark Angels because all the secondary points start coming in. And at the same time, you start to become unshackled from the, your essentially your super castle and get to move out and do a bunch of different things. Uh, but there, it's, it's really different. Like Harlequins, is, it, in my mind, is very front-loaded. They want to go out and they want to get their 15s early and then fade away and just become like water to try and engage for the, the remainder of the turns. And I think it's, yeah, it's really important to have an appraisal of where yours sits into it. Are you a grindy army like Necrons where you just grind into your opponent, grind into your opponent, always trying to seek uh, a small to medium advantage? Yeah. Um, yeah, deciding what army or identifying what army that you play or what style that you want to play is very, very important. Um, I I always thought guard were pretty good at the early game, um, but, uh, you know, Brandon actually is probably a better answer for that. The way I can call guard is that you start with an advantage because at range you're just going to murder everyone if you're building a guard army most of the time. But that advantage fades really fast if the enemy actually closes with you because a squad of Gretchen will tie up your battle cannons and prevent them from shooting. Um, well, all your tanks have blast weapons, so you can't shoot in a melee. Sorry. So the name of the game for guard is the delaying tactic. It's, if I just have enough bodies to slow you down for long enough, my guns will do enough damage, and I'll score enough points on objectives to win the game. So it's very much a slow attrition slash um, very defensive um what what was i just saying the 
not not <laughs> not defensive but like delaying delaying is the keyword a guard army is a delaying army where you're just attempting to hold on long enough to score enough points to win the game you're not trying to completely eliminate your opponent right off the bat yeah i've i've yet to get a like i've yet to get more than i've yet to get a hundred point win as a guard player let's just say it like that I've, I've yet to get a max point win as a guard player no they're not good at that at all they don't mm. win overwhelmingly and generally when they do win they've lost more than 50 percent of their army agreed i'll, I'll end a game with like either all my tanks left and none of my infantry or a bunch of my infantry and none of my tanks left it's rare it's rare i have a mixture of either either <laughs> what do you think about going first versus going second for this kind of strategy so if you're doing a delaying game um as long as your zoning and defenses are good enough turn one against your opponent that they're not going to alpha strike and take you out which is something you'll want to address during the list building phase so that you can start stuff on the board where getting alpha struck isn't a thing then going second is actually generally preferable because having that last turn action and having your reserves come in to respond to their reserves is really powerful but Mm. again that's assuming that you've built a list and the terrain is favorable enough that you will not get alpha struck off the board or overwhelmed before you will um, lose all your important units yep I 100% agree with that. I think second turn is super huge. If I have the option, like if I ever, if if I have, if I have the choice every single game, I will choose to go second just because with good and and assuming good to uh, like board terrain, um, like uh, I am always, I'm always going to want to go second. If it's not great terrain, like terrain is kind of sparse and you think that your opponent can break your back, like Brandon was saying a little, uh, a second ago. I think that it's 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 okay to choose to go first or and or against a super aggressive army that you need to set up like you need to set up some some buffer between you and your opponent. I think that's another good reason to go first. Um, uh, go ahead, Adam. So for me, it's I got it got really simple for me when I lost the control. Well, when I lost the ability to have a say in who goes first and second, yeah. it got really simple for me. I no longer have control over that role. So what can I control? I can control how I deploy. If I deploy to be to go first, I can that can bite me in the ass. If I deploy to go second, that technically can't bite me in the ass. Like I can't lose resources by deploying to go second. I can lose resources by deploying to go first. Hence, I can lo- I can lose the game by deploying to go first and not going first. I can't technically like you know automatically lose a game turn one by deploying to go second and going first. And that's that's how I thought about it. Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. The 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 addition is also moving, or the meta specifically, not maybe not necessarily the objectives and the missions, but the meta is also moving into, uh, kind of this meta where you don't really want to go first. You, mm. There isn't like fragile unit, hyper hyper lethal units that you need to kill before they shoot. That they, they just don't exist anymore. You don't see things like that you also don't necessarily want to move up on your opponent quickly because you're running into all these like bully units you know 10 man terminators getting them extra charge moves you know you get things like the silent king you give blood angels a little more space to get behind you uh or to charge to beta strike you and charge you it's just moving up the board and getting that that early or taking the early uh, initiative or i guess giving your opponent the initiative as um, brandon would say just doesn't feel as strong uh before and previous editions you would get advantage you would be able to kill more more than your opponent um which might be like a knockout punch that can keep them out of the game pablo i think there are exceptions so earlier i think it was danny who described the tyranid list that was board control style 
Mm-hmm. I think something like that where you can just cover the board very quickly by launching people with the Swarm Lord or Warp Time with these double move abilities, where if your opponent's reliant on reserves and is trying to play a more defensive game, you can just be like, well, here's 200 bodies that are fearless, deal with it. And mm-hmm. uh, if they weren't prepared for that many bodies or they were trying to play more defensively, you can just zone them out of the board for most of the game. So being able to go first and deny them the ability to even leave their deployment zone with that play style can be very powerful. Yeah, but I feel like a good player is just going to like deploy everything. Like if, if I had like Blood Angels, for instance, and you know, this hyper mobile reserve charging out a reserve army and I saw something like 200 fearless gaunts at me, <clears throat> you know, Gene Steelers, I would just start everything on the board because you're you're going to get they're going to come to you anyways. Correct. Um, that would be the correct decision in that case. Is yeah. If they're going to swarm the board, do not start stuff that's important in reserve because they will make you come in in your deployment zone an inch away from your home edge. Mm-hmm. But there are there are going to be games where I'm sure there's games where Danny's just zoned people off the board because they thought maybe they could get to the swarm lord turn two or something and then realized oh crap. I can only deploy in my deployment zone. Um, yeah, that does happen. I'm not going to confirm or deny that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing, Adam talked about this with the last turn. Going last is huge. Uh, being able to get those, primary, those final primary objectives and scoring them, especially with fast obsec units that you know are going to last the whole game, are important. That's why you see things like the, um, not even oh, just obsec. You just said two like, key words, fast and scoring and with obsec. Yes. If you don't have either of those or you're missing one of them, going second and having last turn is actually much less effective. Yes. Yep. Yeah. If you have if you have an army that just chills on the board, um, you might not necessarily, you may be going first might be better. Um, but you won't be able to take full advantage of that final turn. So yes. there's been plenty of games of the guard where I'll have three infantrymen here, a company commander, five infantry over there, and they all move, move, move onto objectives on the last turn. That's huge. Even though I have nothing left, the models I do have left are able to get on objectives and score me points. So if you can build an army where the last few pieces you still have alive are able to score you those final points, or at the very least deny your opponent from getting points, that can be enormous. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a question for all three of you guys. In the armies that you're building, or armies that you would suggest to be built by you know, p- people who ask you, what percentage of your army should have OPSEC? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I would say, uh, so just looking at the armies, a lot of the people um, and the, kind of the style that people are building, they're either going heavy on OBSEC or they're just eschewing OBSEC altogether. Mm-hmm. So not something yeah. that... It depends. Yes. So for example, if you're building a list like that, um, Tyranid list that we mentioned as an archetype where you're going to swarm the board, you're going to take over the board, you're going to push your opponent back into the deployment zone. And it's not as much about killing, it's about control. OBSEC is a necessity. You want as much of it as you can get. Yes, because you're not going to be able to kill things, but you'll at least be able to deny your opponent objectives because you have bodies. If you didn't have obsec, that list wouldn't work because your opponent would be like, "Well, I have an obsec model you can't kill, so I win." Uh, whereas, yeah, I, I agree 100%. if you're doing a more defensive list, you might only need two or three units with obsec, like maybe yes. a battalion, because yeah. those units are going to be in the back. They're going to be protected. And they're not going to be thrown into the teeth of the enemy and, and lost early in the game unless your opponent is pushing very deep into your army. And at that point, you have other problems. Yep. No, that's a good answer. I, I think, like, I mean, my, my stupid Dark Angels list that just is yep. so, so, so stupid has three obsec units. 
you know? Yeah. And you're not going to kill any of them, <laughs> you know? So it's okay for me to only have three because they're not going to die. Well, that's another way of doing it is I have three, but they're not ever going to be removed unless you commit a thousand points of stuff that I can then respond to. Yeah, and if they do get removed, I've probably lost and it doesn't matter anyway. You know, uh, that's it's funny that you say this too, Adam. Like, I really, it like that really made me kind of a little bit introspective. And I've realized that in the army, the the two armies that I've been playing the most lately, my army is 100% obsec or can be. Like, just with with rights of war, or I'm just playing Necrons and my whole army is obsec anyway. Mm. So interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I agree. I agree with both Brandon and Adam about that for sure. If you're for this specific style of um of zone control, non-interaction style of gameplay, you're either going to want all obsec because you're you need throwaway bodies, um, or you're you're going to want durability over obsec and like Dark Angels, for instance, where you don't need obsec because you're you're just you're not moving, you're not going anywhere. Uh, I will say there's one more exception, and that is uh, specifically Admech, Although I'm sure there's another faction that does this really well too. Uh, Admech gets away without having obsec, and by being a little more on the mobile hoardy side, just because uh, the the first off Cerberus Raiders are insanely good mm. at zoning your opponent and playing playing this really cagey game, but also Admech have the ability to kill your opponent's obsec and uh, kill the things that they need to efficiently um, at short range. So what Admech does is essentially Admech players will kill the things that they need to. Uh, and then play this really weird, like running around the board game where they're they're scoring objectives with these fast non obsec units. But the reason why they're taking away your objectives is just because there's no obsec left on the board. Um, so that is another style. Uh, it's a little bit more balanced. Um, but yeah, there's there's a ton of different uh, ways to play mm, with yeah. your obsec. I think you hit it. Well. There's a lot of factors there. I um <laughs> I don't want to coin too many sayings today, but uh, there's a saying that I got taught when I was a kid doing like outdoorsy scout stuff, and it was if you can't tie knots, tie lots. And I'm of the opinion. So this is a saying that I coined with my mates. If you can't have like the hot, the hotness, the the good best unit. If you can't have hots, have lots. If you can't, if you can't have an amazing uh, source of obsec in your army, like Deathwing Terminators, have lots of obsec. So it doesn't matter. E.g., you know, what Dark Elder has been doing. Um, if you can't take amazing good sources of obsec, just have tons of it. Adam, is this your, is this, was this given to you as dating advice? Yes. Originally? Yes, it was, yes. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you, can't, if you can't have the hotness, have lots of it. Everything counts you know, in large amounts. I like that. P- playing dead, playing bam, the odds, huh? Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Go, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I was I thought I thought that was a wedding joke. If you can't tie knots, have lots. Is that is that like a single thing? I don't know. Hey man, it, I was, yeah, I was you get married ten a, times. You do you, buddy. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, you're gonna get one right. I was told but, uh, it was. I was told. I was told it was a boating. It was a boating thing. If you couldn't tie your boat to the moor properly, just tie a, a crap load of whatever knot you know how to tie. See, I heard. But yeah, these are all, these are all where way better. Went, so these are all oh, yeah. way better. <laughs> um. All right. Um. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, the final part of this podcast, final part of this main topic before we close out the podcast and get to the patron questions. Um, and that's the idea of uninteraction in the game. So Adam alluded to this a bunch of times, and I think it's something that we need to kind of just address. So first, another quick PD Pop anecdote. Um, when I started playing Warhammer Underworlds, uh, there was a list I made um, that was, it was Orcs. So it was the Iron Jaws, which are which are known as being this brutal, like in your face aggressive faction. But they had some some cards 
that let them scored for that rewarded you for playing defensively. And so what I quickly realized was I could build this orc list, uh, this orc deck, and put these defensive cards in my deck, and my opponent would expect me to move up on them turn one. And so my opponent would play defensively, and then because there's limited rounds, there's only three turns uh, or three rounds in Underworlds, when my opponent realized, oh crap, he's scoring defensively, I have to get in his face, essentially cost them one turn of movement, uh, and I was able to take advantage of that. And I, I would literally win games where I my orcs would move maybe two squares each, and I would just win the game, this low-scoring game, my opponent would be mad because I just refused to play the game with them, and I refused to fight them, and Underworlds wasn't like that. It really, really made people upset. Um and I think they fixed that uh, because th- when I was playing it, the one of the people who from GW who were um, watching me play, uh, they were like, "That's not really what we intended the, the the direction this game to go." But good on you for coming up with that. The point of that story is that when you find something that people are not doing or, or something that breaks the mold, um, in for instance, if everyone's bringing really hyper mobile aggressive armies, uh, and you want to, you just don't want to compete with them with their with their lethality and you just want to put a bunch of bodies out and dare them to kill your whole army before you win the game by skipping every single one of your shooting phases do it especially if it's a meta call uh so try not to try not to think about what the spirit of a game is in a competitive setting um because if we all did that then we would all have 10 tactical marines with a plasma pistol sergeant uh an alaz cannon and a meltagun and we would we would you know be the good old days you the mean. emperor and yeah it's just so so um <laughs> so i think what if you're saying list... Pablo, is if i'm a game designer i don't want to design the game to be played like your orcs were but if i'm a player it's totally fair to figure out the most reliable way to win games and play that way yeah also i think i, I mean game design theory is a whole is a whole nother topic but i think that if you're a game designer i think you should focus on uh, just creating like a tight rule set and then like your players are going to they're not going to play the way you want them to play 99.9% of the time like every I think every single game designer has a story where they're like oh yeah I did that wasn't what I intended and now there's this part of the game that's just like completely warped from their vision that they had in their heads um so you know like like um Adam said I think or, or Danny someone said this uh, gamers are going to game mm-hmm. um yeah so Having said that, an interaction is very is um <clears throat> is a kind of a causation of where we are with the primary objectives. So open question for anyone to answer it. What about the primary objectives kind of encourages um an interaction not killing so much because we are moving away from making killing things important as a game in general and i don't think that we're i don't think that that's going away anytime soon especially with dark eldar coming out uh and you have things like really really tough uh, i think racks or grotesques whichever ones are the good ones it's, the, it, it's racks it, it, it it's was racks, yeah. yeah so yeah you really tough racks units backed by one killable incubi bomb one one hard to kill incubi bomb or whatever um what uh what are some ways that uh the game has been designed or the game the missions have been designed to kind of encourage that play and then is that like a good or a bad thing like i just want to hear you guys' opinions on this so first of all any of the objectives that are secondaries that say if you're near the center of the board dot 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 those are very well written because they're encouraging both players to control the center of the board for points same with objectives that are 
be anywhere near the enemy deployment zone, whether in it or in different table quarters. Those are encouraging players to leave their deployment zone and force them to interact somewhere in the table to score points. So that's going to generate the conflict that you're looking for on the table as opposed to non-interactive active lists that sit in deployment zones and score max points with each other. For example. And, sure. And, you know, half the game, you're, half the points in that are available, more than half the points that are available in the game almost always are due to are due to table interaction and placement of your models rather than, like, actually killing the enemy. And killing the enemy is a twofold benefit. If you get victory points for that, you're scoring really twice because you're limiting your opponent's ability to interact on the board and control objectives and you're, and, and you're actually killing something to get victory points. So killing something is often its own reward, but sometimes also you get to double dip and you get secondary points for it. So right now, there's there's so many more secondaries that support your primary play than there are, than there are secondary support anything else you know because all, all people are trying to do right now is marry up what they already want to do and what they need to do every single game eg play the primary with whatever secondaries they need to do that supports that i feel like it's the secondaries more than the primary that's the problem if we had more secondaries that were wholly divergent from taking and scoring objectives uh, taking and scoring the primary uh, we would see more more differences in play um I, I personally i would like to see more end game objectives added Mm-hmm. Just because I think it would, I agree. It, That's it, would, true. it would, yeah, because uh, because right now all people do like okay, so I have to play the primary every single game, yeah. Because the, if the I primary, can, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. But the secondaries I can control, and so I will marry up the two as closely as possible, and we get we got we've got the game we have. Uh, go ahead, Danny, and then I have a thought. Oh no, I'm good. You're, you're good, people. Uh, so so b- basically, um. I agree with you. Uh, I feel like the primary objectives are a little too predictable. Um, as I was planning out my Necron list uh, with my buddy, we were literally just mapping out the first three turns against every single army. Mm. And I was like, okay, if I do this, 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 and this, and my opponent brings this, 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 and this, unless they get really lucky and kill all my Scarabs and Warriors, I'm scoring 30 points. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. And it's it's that that kind of predictability that's leading to this kind of formulaic playstyle. Mm. Um I think that there should I think we should bring back at least a couple kill more primaries. So every primary objective basically feels the same. The secondaries I think are in a pretty good spot. I actually really really enjoy where the secondaries are. The problem is is that because the primary is so predictable, you just ignore the secondaries that don't line up with your primary game plan. Mm-hmm. You just ignore them completely. Yeah. So I think if you mixed it up, if you did like half of the primary objectives were hold more progression progressive, and then the other half were kill more progressive. Or even uh, or uh, end even, game scoring. Yeah, or even kill more end game scoring. Although that's that's a that needs to be the the cool thing is is that GW set the precedent uh, that they they aren't afraid to change the primary or any of the missions so you could theoretically you don't have to make um missions linear or um what's the word symmetrical for instance you don't need to award the same amount of points for killing a unit as you would for holding more objectives than your opponent yeah. thus making it more valuable or less valuable to kill more units than your opponent but still making still adding at least some value to being able to kill your opponent kill your opponent's models which which means like because the 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 argument against 
kill more missions is that it, it discourages people from playing MSU and from playing specific styles of armies and from bringing specific units. Yeah. That's the, the that's kind of the point, right? Is it's at a disadvantage to those lists. However, if you don't weigh it as much, so for instance, if instead of just a straight, I killed more than you, it's I had to kill three more than you for two mm. points, and then one more than you for one point, you're still giving those lists a disadvantage, but it's not overwhelming. It's not uh, like, a you killed more than me this turn, I am definitely out of the game. It's just, you know, it's it's less of a disadvantage so just, and, and i don't know what the right values are i'm just throwing those random numbers out there so uh, go danny so for, for me sorry go, you go danny oh i was gonna say i just really disagree with that in general i think that the secondaries are really bad right now um i Fair think enough. there's only a few secondaries that are really that are good that get taken Correct. Um, i think that we really need that like there really needs to be a concerted effort to rebalance the prime the, like the main secondaries in the book um and uh and from like, a game design perspective, be very careful with the codex ones because it's very easy yes. to make a fa faction unbalanced if they get one that's better than the codex ones. All right, so, uh, Panda, can you please edit out what Danny said and then <laughs> edit in uh, in a scene from the Netflix show Narcos uh, where someone is agreeing with with Pablo Escobar? And uh, oh, Danny's um, on the money with this one, though. Like, he is, yeah. Getting it, secondaries it, this... that are reasonably well balanced that people have a variety that they take and might actually change up depending on what mission they're playing or who their opponent is would be mm. far more interesting than. I built an army where I take the same three secondaries every game because I always score them. Yes. I, I don't know. I, I mean, so I, like, I... I have, two, I have two solutions. Because right now, I, I've been thinking long and hard about this. And um, no, that isn't more wedding advice. But uh, the <laughs> the issues I see right now is so that they've, they're on a good formula where you can only take one pick from each, each section, each column. They could literally just consolidate all that you don't have to do anything to score these points ones into one column. So only get one choice of engage or scramblers or dom or all these things. They're all in one column. Bada bing, bada boom. Great solution. As in, you, instead of going from having two or three of these things you can score by being non-interactive, you have one really good one, and then you have to make some hard choices on the other two picks. And the yeah, other the one... ITC Oh, good. Sorry. The other one I really want to see happen, and I, I want to see this happen so, so much, one secondary not from the GT pack. Not two. I shouldn't be able to take Oath and Stubborn Defiance as a Dark Angels player. Yeah. That, that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that. Um, I I will, I would like to, would definitely shelve this for now. Um, what do you, what do you all think? Multiple things. Do you think that the style of play with the um, more objective-focused, less killing-focused uh, armies coming into the meta, do you think that do you like that plus style of play? Do you dislike that style of play? Also, listeners, what do you think about the secondaries where they are now? Uh, do you think that adding more secondaries is the right call, or do you think switching the primary objective missions up a little bit is the right call? Love to hear your feedback. Love for all of you to have a respectful discussion in the comment section down below with the exception of the youtube comment section because of course you're the youtube comment section uh and i'm joking by the way i i the youtube commenters on the podcast are actually largely very very sweet yeah, you really um, don't have to be respectful uh <laughs> not, on, not on youtube they will not be chained uh joking no aside yeah <laughs> joking aside thank you do you for listening and uh, i'm curious to hear what your questions are now if you uh, want to ask us questions that we answer live on the podcast, or if you just want to support the podcast, or if you want to win a Kill Team Nexus box next week, so you have one week to do it, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics, 
for $5 a month, you get access to our Facebook page, our Discord group. Uh, you might win a Kill Team Nexus box, um, a Kill Team Pariah Nexus box, excuse me. Uh, and you get to ask us questions that we answer live on the episode every week. And you get to ask awesome, you ask questions about your army lists and all sorts of cool stuff. So, first patron question comes from patron Jason. Uh, how are we feeling about troops right now? It seems like a lot of top lists of events have been really light on them. Do we think this is a trend that will continue? Um, I believe we answered this, we touched on this a little bit in the podcast. But does anyone want to expand on that? Um, I think we've lost Adam. Ooh, we lost Adam. Well, uh, Adam um, couldn't handle it long and hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was too long, too hard for him. Go ahead, Danny. <laughs> Uh, I think people are just using, uh, I, I think people are often using troops just to fulfill requirements for detachments. Um, I don't know that, uh, except for, well, there's some builds where you're going to see a lot of troops. Like Necrons are probably going to take quite a few troops unless they're building like Triple Satan or something like that. I don't know. I, I guess, I guess it will, we'll, we'll see how things shape up as more army books come out. Um, or codexes, I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, It'll be interesting to see if people's design choices kind of change a little bit. With there are so many instances where you can give objective secured to non-troops units now, it kind of makes like the intrinsic obsec that they get a little bit less valuable. So, I kind of hope, I, like I hope that we kind of see a little bit more of that going away. Uh, the like the Drukari book, for instance, which is going to come out uh, next week, um, is uh, pretty light on that. Um, which I think is a good sign. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if we we change that up a little bit. That and Death Guard too. Yeah, I think I think to answer this question directly, I think it just depends on your faction's troop choices. Uh, not every faction's troop choices are created equal, and luckily or unluckily, um, largely for the last three editions, the troop choices, the good troop choices, have been the good troop choices for a while now. Um, and I think what makes a really good troop choice is. It's wound efficiency. So how many points does it cost? To, uh, how many wounds does it give you for its points? Um, or the, the buffs it gets. Um, generally, most troop choices don't get a ton of buffs. But with the addition of core now, uh, when, a, when a unit has core and is a troop choice and gets good buffs, it's almost like a, an auto-take. Um, think like Necron Warriors and the Silent King, which Danny said. Uh, but I, I think... To answer your question, Jason, I think it doesn't depend on your list. I think it just depends on your faction. Like, Fire Warriors, no no one cares about Tau Troops at all. The thing I will say as well is that troops have been overshadowed a little bit by uh, mm-hmm. the need for screening being um, better than ever, like bigger than ever. And the fact that units more than five models don't actually take up as much space on the table as they used to. So mm-hmm. units of five tend to be the ideal. And I think we've seen some competitive lists where, if possible, they take units of one model because that is the most efficient way to completely popcorn peanuts your deployment zone so people can't land in it. Um, So, yeah, I think that the role of troops in filling your deployment zone and zoning out or being packing peanuts has been diminished somewhat because of the restriction on coherency for units more than five and um the resurgence of units that you can take just one or two models yeah i agree i agree with you and and the i'm glad you mentioned that the, those really small two-man units the the action monkey units um have definitely taken up the role of what troop choices did for certain armies right like space marine scouts the, you, you just take company veterans they have one less wound than space marine scouts they're cheaper and they just they can 
do random better things. They're harder. They're easier to hide. Anyways. Um, uh, let's go on to the next question. Patron Kelsey wants to know, while formulating the plan for your army, how many redundancies should you implement? Should you always plan for horrible luck or just shrug and go good beats when it occurs? You should plan for the worst possible luck and try and plan for an army that has enough redundancy in how you're planning to use it that if things do go horribly wrong, that you're still okay. Because eventually you're going to roll snake eyes on that charge that was going to win you the game. And if you had no other plan, well, then you just lose. And especially if you're going to be someone who goes to multiple events, that one in ten chance, it's going to happen routinely because it'll happen every other event. Yep. Second everything that that, that Brandon just said, that was uh, that was very well put. Uh, I suppose it depends on what you what you got and what you're trying to leverage. I mean, there's no real reason to take two units of ten Deathwing Terminators unless you really, you really, really oh, looking to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> but uh, th- things, I mean, like <laughs> I only need to take three units of Guardsmen to fill out my battalion, but I usually take five or six. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're on what you're doing. What I really like about Ninth Edition is how it it changed the way we look at single unit redundancy lists. So think for instance, think back in eighth edition when we had the, um, the triple Caladius mm. grav tank list, right. Or um, it, the beginning of ninth edition when we're Necron players are trying to take like triple doom stalker. Um, now you could get away with running one or two of a unit like that, that fulfills a mm. very specific role and it'll actually do well because there's less units well, on the board. So when you're looking at perfect, ahead, perfect Adam. example right here, Brandon Grant's Castellan list. I only had one Castellan, mm-hmm. and that was all it needed. Two Castellans yep. was would be, you know, <laughs> they only, need, only needed one, that, but it needed. But that Castellan had built-in redundancy. Yeah, but he still it had he's a shooting. lot of redundancy in that. But list. what did, yes. exactly right? Exactly yeah, right. It's a perfect microcosm <laughs> in and of itself because he had like a hundred guardsmen, and the yes, and the hundred yeah, guardsmen one in one, one in the LVO. <laughs> Two wyverns yeah. and nine bulgrins. <laughs> it's like if you killed one Speaking unit, of redundancies. If you pulled one jungle block out of the tower, it didn't come crumbling down. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's so, okay to to if you have a unit that's a that's a giant pain in the dick to kill. Like I think it's okay to 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 take one of that. Correct. Um, you don't have to spend a ton of points on on two of something that's extremely expensive. But whatever role that thing had, other things in your list should at least like with command points or buffs, be able to do it in a pinch. So for example, let's say you're trying to get in the enemy deployment zone for a secondary. You might have a unit that's coming in from strategic reserves, but that's relatively easy to block if your opponent has enough screens. Mm. Maybe you have a unit of five scions that just come in from the sky. Well, that's harder to block because they can just show up in the enemy deployment zone turn two, whereas the strategic reserves can't. Oh, they're blocking both of those? Well, maybe I have a unit that can move 24 inches um, and hide out a line of sight and then move in the deployment zone and perform an action. Or whatever it is, you have like plans within plans within plans. It's like, here's my primary plan, like the easy way to do it. Then there's the medium way. And then there's the hard way. Like everything else has failed. This is my plan for how I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, One of my favorites, and also... uh, one final step on the or talk of this and we'll move on to the next question. Uh, when you're looking at redundancies, be creative. The best example I've seen of this was at one LVO, there was a guard player. Um, it was, this was Castellan meta. Uh, he had two shadow swords and just a ton of guardsmen. And when he ran into a horde army, he would literally just use the shadow swords as move blocking 
you know, big bricks of your opponent literally can't move here at all because the Shadow Sword's in the way. Because the Shadow Sword was useless against just like killing like Poxwalkers and stuff. Like he just couldn't do it because it was designed to kill Castellans. And so it, his redundancy was literally like, I'm going to take up as much board as possible with these Shadow Swords and essentially cut an eighth of the map off the board and then play a smaller board and try and win that way. That's a perfect um, example, so, Pablo. I love it. Yeah. It's just, it, it's an, a weird redundancy that you wouldn't expect. Um, but moving on to the next question. How do you deal with big OPSEC blocks if you don't have an ability to shove shut off OPSEC? And on the flip side, what will happen to this style of list once every faction gets an option to do it? <clears throat> also, he said to support the podcast. And this is coming from Patron Robert. I think we actually, you, Pablo, discussed this earlier with move blocking. Mm-hmm. where if it's an obsec block it's usually tough and not particularly fast so you can either zone it out if it's trying to come in from reserves or just move a chaff unit in the way so it literally can't get to the objective it needs to go to or you guys hear me yes or yeah, you double fist dunk on that unit and kill it <laughs> yeah but i'm thinking um, your you deathwing terminator blob of 10 which is an obsec block that's usually invincible with that one you take yourself humbling cruelty or whatever other move mitigating thing you have and you let him have his one objective he's sitting on and you take every other one there you go yeah there's literally there there's people who talk about dark angels games where they're like yeah my my terminator's only moved like yeah. four inches yeah. the whole game <laughs> it's just uh, it worked for them but um yeah i agree with both of those uh, i think one other thing you can do which brandon alluded to was getting a really fast unit and just charging them um i was playing a game against a demon player um earlier earlier in the edition um and basically he had he had a ton of nurglings and i was like oh i had scout bikes and i was like i can't kill anything but this these two scout bikes can charge like three units of nurglings and then no one's leaving that that area of the board for the rest of the game because those nurglings aren't going to kill the scout bikes and the scout bikes aren't going to kill all those nurglings. Um, so that's another great way to deal with them too is just uh, the Cerberus Raiders for Admech do this phenomenally well. And that's just keep your opponent's OPSEC units where they are. Don't let them charge them. Don't let them move up. Um, they're they're going to have generally, especially in combat, generally have a hard time killing things in close combat. Um there are exceptions to this, like Necrons can get buffed from the Silent King, so they can, especially if they're Novak, can maybe get some movement in there. But generally, what I've seen is if you tie up 40 models in your opponent's uh, deployment zone with your own models and kind of keep them there, your opponent's like countercharge units are going to have a hard time. They're going to have to like walk all the way around. Um, they're going to have to hope that you kill models so that they can remove models. So they're like smash captain can go in there and make a charge off. And it's it gets really like, it gets really silly. Um, in chess, you actually call this making space um, or not making space for yourself. Uh, but yeah, that's another good way to deal with them. Next patron, Tim, wants to know, do the hosts have any tips for grabbing and holding objectives with fragile OPSEC units, specifically Gene Sericle? I know we're at the bottom, but I'm still trying my best, and any tips or ideas would be super helpful. Transports. I mm-hmm. think that's the way that you make those units kind of work. Boom. Yeah. A mobile bubble wrap. Especially transports, transports. without flying stands. Yeah, because you can hide behind, get out and hide behind them, or if you stay inside, if you're worried about that, they blow it up and your guys get out. And hopefully they have run out of firepower or you have another unit there to kind of mitigate that a little bit. Yeah, I would I I would actually I know a couple lists like like for instance Venom spam with with Cabalite Warriors in there, especially with the new Cabalite Warriors, things like Goliath spam and stuff, or I think it's the Achilles mm-hmm. Ridge Runner. 
Eh. Anyways, uh, um, it's the rock grinder. You, I think is what. Why you're would they ever maybe? not take okay. a chimera at that point, <sighs> or like a chimera? Um, sure. But basically, just a bunch of transports with obsec cheap obsec troops inside of them is just actually kind of like low key really mm. terrifying. It, it's just like you're. For instance, if you have like ten terminators, you'll be able to kill a transport when you charge them. Any transport you touch, but then the troops just get out and score. And maybe the transport scored before that as well. And all of a sudden you've spent two turns just letting your opponent score and zoning you from this very particular spot. Um, it, you know, I think I think more people should be bringing transport. So speaking specifically for GSC, um, GSC have one of the great, they have such great access to Fearless that I do, I really like seeing people put, you know, eight guys from, an, from a squad on an objective and then two guys out of line of sight and do, doing that two or three times on an objective. So like you've got, Eight, eight guys nice. from three squads on objectives and two guys from each squad out of line of sight and you've got like a Patriarch or a Magos or a Primus, someone to give them Fearless or however, however ways they get Fearless. And yeah, you, you, they kill, let's say they kill, it's very hard to kill that many dudes without, you know, if, you, if you're holding some angles, you're trying to mitigate, have a lot of mitigating factors in the lines of sight and things. It's very hard to get like, what, five or six Hurricane Bolters <laughs> worth of shooting that you need. You, you know, 10 Intercessors doesn't kill these guys. Um, not, even, not even with shooting and charging doesn't kill these guys. You'll still hold that objective over them in a lot of ways and then you know if they do kill them all yep. you, the last two guys run out and complete the problem again they still got exactly the same problem what you want to do is make them have to kill every single one of the guys i agree at least at least i think that's the best you can Boom. do with unfortunately what you've got at the moment <laughs> uh, danny do you have any other questions or do you have an answer for that? Anything oh, that? Oh, uh, no, other than like, yeah, the I think like Adam said and kind of touching on that, like redundancy is super important when you have weak units like that to make sure you can hold objectives. All right. Patron Tim wants to know, did Pablo's technical difficulties from last week end when he turned off or turned on the computer? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so for those of you last week, Chapter Tactics wasn't here last week. Um, essentially what's going on is... Um, I, I dropped a lot of money on a very fancy streaming slash gaming rig. Um, I do plan on doing streaming with games and stuff uh, eventually. Uh, but what happened was my graphics card motherboard pairing um, is just just doesn't work. It's, um, so basically, long story short, uh, it's something that uh, multiple people are experiencing with this very specific graphics card and this very specific motherboard pairing. And NVIDIA is like aware of it, but hasn't done anything about it. So um it got really bad last week where basically um i didn't have a computer to record on and every like five minutes the computer would freeze and so i just simply couldn't record so um i have a old graphics card in there also if anyone has any third generation nvidia you know 3080s 3090 3070s graphics cards the ones that are really hard to get right now if you have one i'll trade you like i don't know i'll trade you something good for it i'll trade you like a year's worth of itc terrain or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna just throw that out there to all to the podcast first. Um, if you want to help PD Pop out with a graphics card, a fancy graphics card, I am in the market. Um, if not, I'm definitely gonna keep trolling eBay. All right. Uh, next patron comes to patron Joe. I have a general question about this. Do you think that this playstyle is good for the game as you can have armies which just ignore huge chunks of gameplay and even ignore your opponent? I'm just curious to hear what you think, as I had a guy last week complain about it in a local game store. All right. I think it's good for the game personally, but I, I've already answered that question. What do you guys I think? I think we did answer this question, actually. Especially Danny. Did we all answer it, though? I guess that's fair. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we did basically answer this question. I was kind of neutral it, about it, 
but we said that non-interactivity is a feels-badsies situation. So it's absolutely how you should play, given the opportunity, but it's not healthy in the long run for the state of the game because it's going to be a turnoff to players who can't figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think I think it's fine to have, but um, I don't think it should be like the primary way to win the game. And I don't think in the long term, I think it's really bad for the game too. So I just as long as there's some diversity, right? Yes. Like, yeah, I think that's. What's I'm happy. I'm more than happy for people to play negative, stale kinds of styles of 40k. Hell, hell I'm doing it right now. I just don't think I should be able to get 100 points doing it. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't be able to get 100 points. Yeah, I agree. It should be like capped at like 80 or I, something. I agree. Yeah, it, just imagine if the Castellan meta was instead of the Castellan meta, it was everyone running lists like this. It would be it would be mm. awful. It, it'd be it'd be even worse than the Castellan meta was. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, next question um, from patron Brett. Based off of Dark Eldar and assuming Sisters or Admech are next, which two or three armies are next? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know which two or three armies are next, but I think he's asking which two or three armies do you want to come next? for the codex releases i really want to see guard guard were the first so guards were the first one of the first codexes coming into eighth edition and i think they're the oldest codex the gray knights still older i think great oh yeah gray, gray knights and guard definitely need because the eighth edition was space marines and then chaos space marines yeah and then for sure gray knights need an update um perhaps yeah, death watch at some point but Especially if Guard get an update, new models would be so welcome. Mm. Well, didn't Death Watch did, just yeah. get a, an update? They got a dex. Um, I would like to. I would just like to see all the Xenos come out. Give Town needs a complete fundamental rewrite. Orc needs a little bit of a rebalance. Um, and plus, Orcs are getting new models, so you can assume is going to be uh, some some fairly chunkable uh, chunkable uh, additions to that codex as well. I would like. Yeah, I would like to see every. I would like to see every single Xenos codex come out before another Imperial codex. And that is that a, as a guard a guard and Dark Angels player. Craftworlds definitely yeah. really needs a rewrite, rewrite super badly. Um, and I also would really like to see a Chaos Space Marine mm. Codex come out because they also need two wounds super bad. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Good point, man. <laughs> I, I like Orc Chaos. I think from a needs basis, I think Grey Knights or Imperial Guard probably should be up on the list. And then from there, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care so much. I definitely agree with the no Space Marine stuff, though. We should just chill on the Space Marine releases. Um, which means that like we're not going to see Space Wolves for like another year, just like last edition, <laughs> where they were one of the no, last armies. They just Dude, got they a just book. Got a book. It's just that no one noticed. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel so bad. Poor Space oh, no. Wolves. That's I completely. You're right. They they did just get the most forgettable ninth edition book. Um, that all right. is accurate. Yeah, yeah it's rough. <laughs> all right. Um, <clears throat> Patron Nick wants to know what makes an army best suited for winning without killing. Is it cheap? Oh, we already talked about this. That was literally the whole episode. Nah. <laughs> Secondary, uh, yeah, just basically just winning mm -hmm. the primaries. That's um, you just need to be able to win the primaries in some in one way or another. Um. Uh, and then finally, last question. Uh, this is a bit of follow up from an earlier question. Do you think this is the best way to play 40k that GW has developed so far? Do the hosts prefer a general meta with more killing, or is it just one more way to play? So basically quick snapshot of the meta in the game where do you think the game's at right now do you think it's better or worse than it was when it started and uh versus the end of eighth edition 
Well, considering that these are actual Games Workshop missions, mm-hmm. as opposed to modified ITC missions, I have to say that these are the best Games Workshop missions we've ever oh, had. Oh, yeah. That's oh, very that's true. true. That's true. But that's taking the easy way out. Um, I'm personally not a fan of one unanimous way to play the game. I'm somebody who loves variety. I did like to be able to go to ATC style missions, ITC style missions, rulebook style, like straight rulebook missions. I, I like that in my in my environment. I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't think it's stale right now. I don't think the missions are. Are there any real big issues with uh, the missions getting boring right now? They are getting a little bit plottable, but they'll start getting boring in six months from now if we're actually able to play the damn game. But uh, with GW updating, I don't have many, I don't have many fears for them getting truly stale. So actually, I'm quite happy with them. Yeah, I think the game is in probably one of the best balanced places that it's been in a while. Um, like, oh, just, and I really like that there's parity between events mm. now. Like, and I I get Adam's point, right? Like, it is fun to go to different places and play different missions, but I also like to be able to directly compare events that's true. and have that's true. like some standard and, and like and i see that both ways for yeah. sure um but like that's that's the other that's the other side of that of that discussion right um yeah i'm super happy with where the game is at uh and i would like as far as like a difference between killy and like non-killy uh like i like i really like that style that's kind of the way i've always played the game so it's it's good for me um the game is so deadly right like i don't think we need to make it more killy maybe maybe more rewarding for being killy i guess is as a common complaint that i see mm. or hear i i agree with i agree with you danny um i think that the game and the parody in the game especially between factions is the best it's been i think even maybe even better when more people get their codexes maybe yes. even better than we got right before space marine was released in the middle of eighth edition um that was that was i think the golden mm. age of eighth edition when we were when we were every every faction had like a legitimate contender and then space Marines <laughs> came out and completely Nuked ruined it. everything <laughs> um, <laughs> um but for one shining summer we had a really great game uh from a faction balance point and i think we're at that now they set the tone for the necron codex mm. super early um basically saying like look we're gonna give this this long forgotten faction a lot of love uh and I think they so far have still done a good job of keeping it relevant. Um, it so far hasn't hasn't been affected by the Death Guard curse or the the like non Space Marine faction that got mm. forgotten about at the beginning of the release at the beginning of the edition. I I would really like to give props to GW so because so far, with the exception of I guess Space Wolves, I haven't they haven't they haven't stuck it stuck the landing once. Every Codex has been well-rounded interesting and thematic and i I don't think you've been able to look back in any other edition of the game and be able to tick those boxes at all three of those boxes at the same time um like the necron army the necron is perfect one by you it's tick thematic tick fun to play tick deep tick competitive all four at the same time same for the space marines and i'm hoping the same for dark eldar as well yeah, it and let, let, like look, I, I know we're gonna lose at least five Space Wolves players. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. This, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> let, let's let's be honest. GW gets one Space Marine Codex wrong every single edition, no matter what. Last year it was Dark Angels. The year before that it was Blood Angels in seventh edition. Um, the year before that was actually Space Marines, Vanilla Space Marines in sixth edition. They were awful. Mm-hmm. They were trash. Um. Gray Knights also have been, you know, scattered in there. Um, you know, there's there's never been an edition where every single Space Marine Codex has been good. Uh, now, granted, Space Wolves haven't 
had an edition yet where they were the king top. I guess except for the Since long fifth, span. Fifth edition was the last like time they actually edition? crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fifth edition was very yeah. space wolf. It's been yeah. a, it's been a while. It's been a while, but you know, the one Space Marine Codex is going to get shafted, and I think the rest of the 40k community will agree with me in saying that I we would rather have every Xenos Codex be amazing Great. and balanced if it means that one Space Marine Codex. Space Marine style codex is not. Well, you know, get the Blood Angels was amazing last edition. Dark Angels this edition. Next edition, you know, the wolves are lined in the line, man. Makes it the next in queue. We'll see. Blood Angels are amazing this edition yeah, too. <laughs> they're, but they're not top they're of the pile. It. But um, yeah, no, they're not. But but yeah, uh, you know, um, the the uh, we'll say one final thing. I'm really, I am really concerned about Warzone, the Warzone books and the Warzone Karadron. <laughs> they did a good job. Of balancing it, the the problem is is that when you do this kind of stuff, you get flashbacks back to like uh, when Magnus the Red first got released in the um, what was that abomination? The Space Wolves versus uh, Chaos the Wrath, Wrath of Magnus. Magnus. Yeah, yeah the Wrath of Magnus, where where you you had anyways. They they have released formations too. Um, GW has released some questionable supplements that have really hurt the health of the game competitive from a competitive standpoint and eighth edition largely moved away from that the psych awakening books were actually very good um and and very well done so i'm hoping that they they continue the trend with the warzone the warzone books i i just every time gw releases a supplement and they and it's for match play i'm i'm going to tense up a little because it's like uh you you never know if you're going to get like a a crazy thing or if it's going to be standard and balanced, so we'll see. But I am hopeful. All right, that is it, everyone. That's the end of the patron questions. We had a, a long list this time. Um, once again, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/ChapterTactics if you want to ask us questions. Thank you so much, Brandon, Danny, and Adam for coming on. Danny, if they loved hearing you talk about tactics and they love the sound of your voice, where can they find more from you? Well, in that extremely unlikely scenario, <laughs> um, you can find me uh, You can find me on the Mob Rules podcast. Um, we release a new episode every other week. Uh, we also do codex reviews and things like that on YouTube. Um, you can find us wherever uh, you know medium good podcasts can be found, like iTunes, Podbean, all that kind of stuff. Uh, or on YouTube under Mob Rules. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam, where can they find uh, you? So they can find me on Art of War Down Under, which is the best place to get me uh, on our Patreon group where you can sign up to our Patreon. I'll sign up to purchase my podcast on the Art of War 40k.com um, or otherwise stay tuned on the Patreon or like us on Facebook to get up to date with all our part one releases as they are rolled out. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, get on the Art of War Down Under the Patreon group. The Art of War Down Under, I think, is is one of oh. my favorite podcasts. I think it's it's real. It's a really great podcast. But there's a lot of good stuff if you're a competitive player who also wants to generalize. Um, so if you if you're less like focused on learning about one specific list, but more focused on like why this codex is good or something like that, uh, Adam does a really great job Thank breaking you. those down. And then finally. Well, no problem, man. Finally, Brandon, Grant, do you have any plugs you want to plug away? Not at this time, other than join us next week on Chapter Tactics, I hope. Ooh, is that is that does that mean that we're going to talk about guards next week? Well, we'll figure that out offline. Okay, we'll figure that out <laughs> offline. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You were all, of course, the best listeners in the world. Don't forget to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps us out. And as always, have a good one.